This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. <laughs> Two minutes passed on this Friday night, the 6th day of May, 2022. What is going on, everybody, on this dreary, wet, stinky Friday night? We'll keep you company. We got plenty to talk about, too, over the next few hours. Dan Grosser with you. Here on 98.7 ESPN, the phone number, as always, is 800-919-3776. You get me on Twitter, at Dan Grasa, G-R-A-C-A. Joined by a cast of thousands tonight, Brian Mungia, Will Pesek, Tom Bauer. They're all part of the program. They're producing it. They are the ones that are in charge. So we're having some fun. You'll hear from one of the members of the 2022 New York Jets rookie class. That would be... The second round running back out of Iowa State, Brees Hall. He's going to join me coming up a little bit later on in the program. Had a chance to catch up with Brees earlier today out at Florham Park where the Jets held day one of their rookie minicamp. We'll talk about all that stuff a little bit later on. We'll get into the hockey as well as the Rangers take this day off in Pittsburgh now before they resume their best of seven tomorrow night in the Steel City tied at one apiece against the Penguins. Game they had to have last night. Didn't matter how they did it. Didn't matter if it took Three periods, six periods, nine periods. They had to win. They just had to be a goal better than Pittsburgh, and they were. So now you go back to Pittsburgh's home, facing a third-string goaltender again. And if you're just joining us now, Casey DeSmith underwent core muscle surgery for the Pittsburgh Penguins. So he's out of the mix. You're not going to see him at all. This is a – I mean, barring a Tristan Jari-Willis-Reed-like moment, this is Louis Domingue's ship for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And if you're the Rangers, you've got to feel good about your chances. And that's why I think last night was that much more critical for them in the sense that they came out there and they served reminder to Louis Domingue that, okay, I know you came off the bench cold in game number one. I know you turned aside every shot that they threw at you, but it's a new game, it's a new day, and we're still the team to beat in the series. So I think the fact that they planted that inside of maybe his head a little bit, Penguins' head, I think that gives them confidence going into not just tomorrow night, but for the rest of the series, because as we know now, it's probably going to be Domingue's show for the Pens here for the rest of the way. But our good pal, Mr. LaGreca, will holler at us a little bit later on. Give us a call after, you know, he was in transit today, got to the K show late and all of those things. So, you know, we're going to let him settle in a little bit, maybe get a bite to eat. Then he'll give us a call a little bit later on here to set the scene. He'll be on the mic for game number three tomorrow night between the Rangers and the Pittsburgh Penguins. But no baseball tonight because of the weather. So the Yanks and the Rangers are going to have to win. I don't even know if you're going to get a game tomorrow, to be quite honest with you. I mean, the forecast is dire for even tomorrow. So who knows if the Yankees play tomorrow? Who knows if the Mets play tomorrow down in Philadelphia? So no baseball tonight and a lot for you and I to discuss here. But got to start with the Mets, right? You got to start with them, especially after the way that they pulled that one out last night. In Philadelphia. I'm sitting there on the couch, and I got the Ranger game on one screen. I got the Mets on the other screen. Why I still had the Met game on, I can't give you a good answer. Like, I'd love to be able to sit here and actually tell you, like, okay, why did you have a game that was 7-1 to one going into the ninth inning, knowing full well that they realistically had no shot of winning that game? Why did you even bother to have that occupy one of your big screens? You know, you had other options. You could have put another baseball game on. You could have put one of the other hockey games on. There was no NBA last night, which, you know, I, 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 the NBA, we know that they like to stretch out their playoffs and stretch out the schedule. But do you realize, like, teams that are going to take the floor again tomorrow, they haven't played since Tuesday. 
or they will have not played since Tuesday. Like, why the NBA needed a night off last night, I, I don't understand it. Why? Because TNT had the hockey? Fine. Correct me if I'm wrong. NBA still has another broadcast partner nationally. That would be ESPN. You could have put the games on ESPN, but neither here nor there. Whatever. So why did I still have this game? I, I mean, I wasn't confident that they were going to engineer some crazy comeback. Why would you be confident? You know, Taiwan Walker had a rough first inning. You know, the Francisco Lindor error didn't help matters. Gave up a four spot. Or was it four or five? I can't even remember. But at that point, you're thinking, all right, you know, it, it, it's just not their day. You know, you come back, get them tomorrow, and then you start fresh. But you didn't think that there was any chance that they were going to pull that game out, especially in the manner in which they did. And look, Philadelphia has been scuffling. You know, Joe Girardi, like, I, like if there was one place I could have been to, I would have loved to have been in Philadelphia and heard what the reaction and what the outcry was on Philadelphia sports radio all throughout today because of what happened to the Philadelphia Phillies, what happened with Joe Girardi, what's been happening with Joe Girardi. Remember, he's a lame duck manager right now. They haven't picked up any option or given him an extension for, ne- for next season. And think about the start that they're off to right now. You know, they just lost two games to the Texas Rangers in their own ballpark before the Mets came into town. And then you're going to tell me you're going to cough up a 7-1 lead in the ninth inning? Look, I know it's still early. And I know that they've played way too many games against this Phillies team. Think about it. The Mets have played 28 games this year. Seven of them have been against the Phillies. So a quarter of their games have been against this team. Aaron Nola, who started last night's game for Philadelphia, he's made six starts this year. Three of them have been against the Mets. Uh, Crazy the way the schedule was played out this year. But anyway, if you're a Met fan, and I know that this is a team that last year found itself in first place pretty much into July, right? Right around the All-Star break. Mets were first place team. Remember, the Atlanta Braves who won the World Series, they started 51-53 and last year. But if you remember the stuff that I was saying last year, And Met fans were coming after me, like attacking me, because I was down on the Mets. Even though they were leading that division, I still was not a believer. I still was not one of these guys that thought, yeah, this team has the makeup. This is exactly what you, this is a bona fide playoff team. No, because I saw the fragility in it, to be honest with you. I didn't like the makeup of that team. You know, I wasn't 100% confident that Luis Rojas was going to be the right guy to navigate this team through some rocky waters. I didn't love the depth on this team. I didn't think that from top to bottom they were, you know, a team that strikes fear into everybody else, much less the teams in the NL East. And let's not forget something. One of the reasons why the Mets were even in first place as long as they were was because the National League East was garbage. Nobody wanted to take it from them. Well, you know what happened? Jacob deGrom got hurt. Jacob deGrom got hurt. And they didn't have anybody else to pick up the slack. And the season went south slowly but surely. I don't have that feel right now. I don't have that feel as we speak. And you could say to me, well, wait a sec. It's still early, is it not? Absolutely, it's early. I mean, it's May the 6th. May 6th. We got a lot of baseball still to play. But this is different. You know, last year I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. That's not the case this time around. Just last week, they put up five in the ninth inning in St. Louis with two outs and win that game. You're a Met fan. You know that St. Louis is a house of horrors for this baseball team. 
regular season, postseason, don't matter. But they win a series in St. Louis. And one game in improbable fashion like they did, five runs with two outs. And then you have last night, seven runs in the ninth inning when you were left for dead. How does that happen? First and foremost, I mean, you hear the guys talk about it. This team has confidence. There's confidence in that dugout. There's confidence from the fans. And how can you not feel confident from what you've seen? And you know what? I know Steve Cohen. God bless him. Right? He's the owner that if you're a Met fan, you wish you had for the last, what, 30, 35 years. If you're a fan of any team out there in professional sports, I don't care what sport it is, that's the type of owner that you want. A guy who's not going to be afraid to spend money. A guy who's not going to be afraid to prioritize winning and put winning first. Think about the move they made earlier this week. When Steve Cohen woke up, what was it, Monday morning, and, you know, he went downstairs to the kitchen, and he was surveying his options for, you know, what was I going to have for breakfast today? Maybe some Cheerios, maybe some Pop-Tarts, maybe some scrambled eggs, French toast. You know, he's a rich guy. I'm sure he can afford anything he wants for breakfast. Maybe maybe, maybe a fruit parfait, something like that. No. You know what Steve Cohen wanted for breakfast on Monday? And you know what he had for breakfast? He had Robinson Cano's $38 million contract for breakfast. That's what Steve had. And he ate every last ounce of it. You know why? Because he can. Not a lot of teams would do that. Most teams would say, well, you know what? We're stuck with this horrible contract. Jeez, I mean, we might as well play this thing out. At least give it a little bit more time. Maybe even stick the year out with it and see what happens next year. Maybe we can unload it. Or if we even have to cut the guy loose, eating one year of salary is a heck of a lot better than eating two. Mets didn't do that. Steve Cohen didn't do that. And he's to be commended for that. And it didn't matter if it was Mark Canna, Max Scherzer, Eduardo Escobar, Starling Marte, whatever new acquisition you talk about that the Mets made during the offseason. I said it then, say it now, and I'll continue to say it. The most important pickup the Mets made was a guy who was brought in even after a few of those players signed. After the lockout started. And that's the manager. Buck Showalter is the driving force behind this team. But I know you're going to tell me, well, you know what, it's baseball, right? How, how important is a manager? How much of a difference can a manager actually make? Well, okay. You don't think Buck knows what he's talking about and Buck doesn't know how to run a game? You don't think Buck's been doing this long enough and is one of the most well-respected guys in the dugout? The only thing missing from his resume is a championship. And probably as soon as he gets that, if he gets that, you know what, he's going to the Hall of Fame. You have a guy who's in charge, a guy who when you look over in the dugout and when the the ship be sinking, as they say, he projects an air of calm. It's a guy who has seen this before. It's not going to get too down. Inspires confidence in his players. How many of these players have you talked to or have you heard from already this year? And they speak glowingly about that guy in the dugout and how he commands respect. Mets haven't had a guy in the manager's office probably this well-respected since Bobby Valentine was in there. And some of his players couldn't stand them. But you know what? People around the, around the sport, and there were a lot of people that didn't like Bobby, rub people the wrong way. I get all that stuff. But you know what? Bobby knew how to run a game. 
you always knew that you were not going to be strategically undermanned and overmatched when Bobby V was in the dugout. Same thing with Buck Showalter. Buck is thinking two, three steps ahead. He knows what's up. Now, granted, the players have to get this done, too. And if they're not out there doing their thing, well, then you know what? Managers only as good until they say first pitch, play ball, let's get this game started. Then it's up to the guys. One through nine have to go out there. And the new acquisitions, you know what? They've gotten it done. Scherzer's been every bit worth that $43 million, and then some. You know, how good has Chris Bassett been for them? Francisco Lindor, who took a beating last year from yours truly. I'll admit it. He was awful last year, and I was critical. Well, guess what? Been better this year. Even better. He's been what they thought they were getting when they made the trade for him last year and decided to give him that ridiculously large and long contract. But you know what? It's paying dividends now. I'm not trying to think about eight, nine, ten years down the road. I'm thinking about right now. And right now, you got a first-place baseball team. And, oh, by the way, they got an ace in the hole. Just so happens to be the best pitcher in baseball, and he hadn't even thrown a pitch yet this year. And to be quite honest, we don't even know when he's going to throw a first pitch. And the great part about it is while the Mets continue to play baseball like this, they don't have to rush him either. Don't even have to rush him. They could be as cautious as possible, and I don't think you're going to see him until at least June anyway because we still haven't heard anything about him ramping it up and, you know, not throwing yet, strengthening that shoulder, as they say. But it's a different feel. It's a different feel for this team this season. Long way to go, yes, but you're a Met fan. You got to be thinking that something special could be happening in Queens all throughout the summer and maybe into the fall. 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. Let me hear from the Met fans about what we've witnessed already so far the first month of the season and more importantly, last night in that ninth inning. As I said, we'll hear from Jet rookie running back Brees Hall a little bit later on in the program. We'll track down Don LaGreca in the city of Pittsburgh a little bit later on in the program. Baseball, football, hockey, hoops, everything. We welcome you back in here on this Friday night here. Dan Grosser with you on 98.7 ESPN. We're taking it right up until 10 o'clock. Then Anita comes your way with the weekend wager. As always, you can tweet at me at Dan Grasa, G-R-A-C-A. I'd be remiss, and by the way, this is a horrible job by me. Horrible job. Like, like, what kind of a child am I? Should have said this way back at the beginning of the show. I want to wish my parents a happy anniversary. This is, this is their anniversary day. So I, I, I want to wish them all the best. We love them. They're good people. So happy anniversary to mom and dad. Spoke to them earlier today, and uh, hopefully they're enjoying a, a nice meal on this Friday evening. You know, I mentioned Girardi. And we'll get to the calls here in just a second. I, I mentioned Girardi. He's feeling it in Philadelphia. You know, and I know the Yankee fan is probably looking at this from afar saying, ha ha, yeah, I told you so. Oh, yeah, you know, we, this is Girardi. Well, I, I think Joe gets a bad rap for people to just want to pile on, you know, especially from the Yankee side. 
he did win you your last world championship. Let's not forget. It's not like, you know, it's not like the Yankees kicked Joe Girardi at the curb and all of a sudden they've been ringing up championships left and right with Aaron Boone. Remember, Aaron Boone still hasn't taken this team as far as Joe Girardi has. I don't think he went to an ALCS, but, you know, they still haven't uh, even won as many games as they did in that series with Joe Girardi in 17. I still think, I, I, and ironically enough, and I know sports is not fair, especially when you're talking about this business, right? <laughs> I think Girardi did in 2017 as good a managerial job with that Yankee team as you could possibly be, as you could possibly do, given what the expectations were of that team at the beginning of the year. And, and I know that people are going to throw the, the Astros and the trash cans and the cheating and whatever. Bottom line is he did a phenomenal job and didn't deserve to be shown the door. Let's face it. But you look at what's happening now in Philadelphia and look, full disclosure. All right. I'll admit to it, back in 2020, or at least the offseason going into 2020, I wanted the Mets to hire Joe Girardi. You know, he was available. He was out there. I wanted him to come to Queens. He talked to the Mets, but then he started talking to Philadelphia, and the Mets decided, you know what, not to act on it. Philadelphia did. Good for them. And they got Girardi. And the Mets ended up with Carlos Beltran and then inadvertently Luis Rojas, and it hasn't worked out the way that you hoped, at least those first two years, but in a weird way, it led them to Buck Showalter, and the world is right again. So in a weird way, it kind of still benefited the Mets at the end of the road, but a few years ago, I wanted Girardi on this team. I wanted him making out the lineup card. And then it was like a double punch to the gut when he goes to Philadelphia, which is a division rival and a team that you're going to see 19 times. And I was listening to a little bit of the show earlier today when I was driving home from Florham Park. And Michael made a good point. You know, when you talk about division rivalries and these division games and, and so on and so forth, look at what's happening on a day like today with the weather the way it is and the rainout. You realize there's six rainouts today in baseball across the league. There's six games that are postponed. That's insane. But now you're trying to squeeze in all of these makeup dates, and the Mets and Phillies are going to play each other again this year so you have time and that's why they decided to make it up down in august but like the yankees and the texas rangers texas doesn't come back this year next year with the schedule the way they're going to have it more of a balanced schedule to where you play every team in the sport you're not going to have those opportunities and i don't necessarily like it i mean that's just me you you, you know you could say i'm old school and a throwback whatever you want to call it I kind of prefer not even so much, well, it's too many games against your division. Yeah, fine, great, it is. But you know what? Take away the interleague stuff. I don't need interleague baseball. Give me an extra series against the other teams in my league. Like, for example, play a National League team or, or the other teams in the National League, if you're the Mets, one extra series in a year. If it's the Yankees, play the other teams in the American League one extra series a year. Do that instead of the, the interleague stuff is played. You know, we're actually, believe it or not, celebrating. This is the 25th anniversary of interleague plays. Does that feel like 25 years to you? Not me. I remember sitting in, upper, in the upper deck at Yankee Stadium in June 1997, whatever date that was, watching Dave Malicki throw a complete game against the Yankees, striking out Derek Jeter looking uh, to end the game with the old hook. That was 25 years ago. And you know what? Probably I would say after about three years, interleague got boring to me. 
And the one thing that it did completely was it took away the novelty of the World Series, in my opinion. You know, the World Series, like you're a kid, you're growing up, you're watching the matchup of two teams that never played each other, really. You never saw those two teams on the same field unless it was in the Fall Classic. I enjoyed that stuff. That's what made it special. Hell, even the All-Star game was more special back then. You know, because you didn't see those players really go head-to-head against each other, even in an exhibition format. But interleague play ruined all of these things. Completely, 100%. And now, baseball's essentially telling you, well, the way we're going to start the schedule next year, forget about it. There's no National League. There's no American League. There's nothing. Everybody plays everybody. And we're going to take the, you know, handful of teams from each each league, and then we're going to throw them all into the playoffs and, you know, may the best team win. But... It also goes into the favor of, oh, let's try to market the sport and make sure that Shohei Otani gets to play every team in baseball. Doesn't mean Shohei Otani is coming to your city. It's not like the NBA and the NHL where each team goes to every city every season. No, 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 no. You're going to play them. The interleague matchups alternate one year to the next. So Shohei Otani is only going to come to Queens, for example, every other year with the Angels. If they think that's what's going to grow baseball, though, they're sorely mistaken. Sorely mistaken. Because at the end of the day, I don't know how many people are going to be locked in to these games that, okay, even if it's one team's only visit for the season, you know, if it happens in the middle of May or in the beginning of June when you still have an entire season still to play, I mean, I don't know how many people are actually going to be captivated by that. That's just me. But baseball seems to think that it'll pay dividends for them, and Who am I to get in the way of them, right? All right, let's get to the phones here. 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. Let us start it off with Alex. He is calling from the great state of New Jersey. He's on 9870 ESPN. Alex, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Good, Alex. What's the word? Well, I couldn't be a more happier Jet fan after Joey Douglas killed it in the draft. I mean, Joey Douglas. (laughs) I call him Joey. I call him Joey. Joey D. Even though he could have taken Kayvon, but he knew he needed that shutdown corner. He gets Zach Wilson, a legit weapon, in Garrett Wilson. He trades back into the first round to find his edge rusher, and I feel Jermaine Johnson had no business falling out of the top 20, and then he trades up in the second round, and it's amazing he didn't have to give, both, give up both second-round picks to trade back in the first round. He gets the best running back available, and he has built a great core in these last two drafts, and I'm expecting a Bengals-like turnaround this year, at least 10 wins, and at least get to the second round of the playoffs, and I can't wait. Alex is ready for football. I don't know if you were able to pick that up from the phone call. Alex, thank you for the phone call. How about that? Alex is ready. Alex is fired up. He's got Joey D. Joey D in the place to be with the draft. I met Sauce today, as a matter of fact. I'll tell you what about Sauce. He's a lot bigger in person than even to how he looks on film. He's got the size. He's got the intangibles. The big dude. You know, he's going to be able to lock down some wide receivers. Good personality, good kid. Good kid. Now you got to go play. So you know what the funny thing is? In, like, it's a cautionary tale each and every season, right? Like, as soon as the weekend ended, you know what? We got to get a break. 
I'll talk about this when we come back. You know, we'll do a, we'll do a little draft. We'll do a little football here. Jet fans, Giant fans, let's bring it on. 800-919-3776. That's the telephone number. But th- this, this theme, you could almost chalk it up each and every year when the draft ends. The hot take machines get overloaded. Welcome back to hour number two. Dan Krause with you here on this Friday night, 98.7 ESPN. Those are the words. Gerard Gallant, the head coach of your New York Rangers. Before that, our good buddy Don LaGreca on the call for last night's Rangers victory over the Pittsburgh Penguins at Madison Square Garden 5-2. We got a 1-1 series. Best three out of five the rest of the way as the scene shifts to the Steel City. Coming up for a game three tomorrow night, which you can hear right here, of course, on 98.7 ESPN. Our pregame coverage beginning at 6.30, I want to say. I, I should know. I mean, I'm going to be the one doing it. So I probably – it is, right, Brian, 6.30? Okay. So 6.30 tomorrow night, game three in Pittsburgh. It'll be Don and Dave on the call and a big game. You know, like, you know all the cliches already. You know how this works. You know, best of seven, best of five. Whenever you have a 1-1 series, the team that wins game three wins X amount of percentage. You want to win the game. All right? That's the bottom line. And the Rangers clearly, I think, go into these next two in Pittsburgh. Look, in a perfect world, I think the fact that now we pretty much have confirmation that it's going to be Louis Domingue the rest of the way for the Penguins, unless Tristan Jari makes this, like, amazing recovery and gets back in somewhere later on in the series. Like, Mike Sullivan said that there is still a shot. They're not ruling Jari out for the Rangers series. He could come back, but that could also be gamesmanship more than anything else. Bottom line is the Rangers are going to see a lot of Louis Domingue the rest of the way. And that's why I think, look, in a perfect world, you want to win a series as quickly as possible. You know, if you're the Rangers, you want to win the next three, be done with the Penguins, and then rest up for round number two. But I do think that the longer this series goes, that is edge Rangers. Like, God forbid this thing goes six or goes seven. That's an edge to the blue shirts. Because then you're, if you're Pittsburgh, you're asking Louis Domingue to continue to do more of something he hasn't done really in his NHL career, backstopping a team in the playoffs. And, you know, just like any backup-type player, no matter what sport it is, the longer you are asked to play and the longer you ask them to perform at a high level, that is when the warts start to surface, right? It's no different than the guy on the baseball team who, you know, is the utility player on the bench for you, but then one of your starters gets injured and he goes out there and he's four for four and he hits a couple of home runs. Then he comes out the next night and he's in the lineup again. And what do you know? He has another three-hit game, drives in a couple of runs. But then you keep writing his name in the lineup. And by the time you get to that fourth or fifth game, other teams now have a book on him a little bit. They got the scouting report. They're starting to pitch him a different way. And then he's unable to go up there and put up the same results because he's not meant to be an everyday player, just like the case of a backup goaltender like this. You know, and we've seen in the playoffs over history here that you get goaltenders in particular that are pressed into action, And they're good enough to steal a series. And sometimes, like, that goalie can backstop his team, like, through a couple of rounds of the playoffs. We've seen it. You know, I can remember going back. I was talking about this with somebody the other day. I go back to, I know it was like 20 years ago, but remember when the Carolina Hurricanes made that, like, run to the Stanley Cup Finals? I think it was in 2002. 
And they ultimately lost to the Detroit Red Wings, who were much better, deeper, stronger. And Carolina was like a Cinderella team. Artur Zerbe was like their number one goaltender to begin those playoffs. Then Kevin Weeks, our buddy Kevin Weeks, star of NHL media. Kevin Weeks came in in relief, and they caught fire behind Kevin Weeks. And Kevin Weeks ended up backstopping that team primarily all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals. So it, it can happen. That's why I think last night was so important for the New York Rangers. And they put up a five spot on Pittsburgh, on Louis Domingue, because the worst situation would have been, even if the Rangers had won last night, but if Louis Domingue would have went out there and made, like, unbelievable save after unbelievable save and, you know, kept the Rangers to, like, one or two goals, then you would have made said, well, you know what, this guy, I don't know, he's locked in. You know, he could be riding, like, the magic carpet at this point. And, you know, maybe it's just going to be one of those, like, fluky things. That's why that win was so big last night. And they did what they had to do. They survived that early onslaught in the third period that the Penguins threw at them. No worse for the wear. You wanted to expose and remind the hockey world, the Penguin world, Louis Domingue, that he is a third-string goaltender. He is a journeyman. Remember, it wasn't even that long ago that this guy thought his career was over. He was becoming like a chef. He was making like pastries and desserts and he was like filming these things and putting them up on YouTube and he even put out a cookbook. Louis Domingue's Pastry Cookbook. I don't know if that's what it was called, but you know, if you if you're really that keen on buying it, go to do like a Google search, Louis Domingue pastries, you'll get it. I'm sure they're fantastic, by the way. But if you're a Ranger fan, you hope that he's a better chef than he is a goaltender. And I'm pretty confident that that is the case. Or else this guy would not have been bouncing around as much as he has in his NHL career. You know, and you can't, like, take this series, for example, and say, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm you know, Rangers, it's, it's only still only 1-1. Yeah, it's 1-1, but you know what? So are the, most of the series around the league right now. A lot of them are 1-1. I think there's only two series that are 2-0. If there are a couple of things that I would look for, right, I'd say this. Number one, they're still giving up way too many shots, right? Through two games, I mean, that is a, a large workload that Igor Shesterkin is having to shoulder right now, right? 41 shots last night, even though that was a game they won. He's made 118 saves in the first two games. Think about that for a second. 108. Now, I know that the first one went three overtimes, and that was pretty much two games for the price of one. But 118 saves in the first two games? He'd never been down this road before either. You know, this is still Igor's maiden voyage in the postseason. I'm not kidding. You know, the bubble crap. I mean, that was, you know, whatever that was. That was like in another planet. I was thinking about that the other day, like, please. And the top two lines did most of the so-called damage on the score sheet and on the stat sheet, which is what you want to see. But I do think the Rangers are getting contributions from that third line, from that fourth line, bringing the energy, setting the tempo. That's what you want to see. I mean, any good team that goes deep into the playoffs, ultimately that wins a Stanley Cup, not saying that this Ranger team is going to win a Stanley Cup, but you would like to see them make a run, you can roll four lines. And you're not asking your big guns to play heavy minutes, even though by process of elimination and by default, they end up having to, but you want to roll four lines, and it's good to see them making a contribution. Now, 
Goudreau, you're probably not going to see the rest of the series, right? Reportedly broken ankle, you're not going to see him. Hockey, they're as coy about injuries as maybe any sport there is. Like in hockey, remember, they can't even like diagnose the injury specifically. They only refer to it as upper body or lower body. They can't tell you one way or the other. Like if you see a guy like walking into the facility, you know, and he's like missing an, a limb, they'll just tell you, well, it's upper body or lower body. Uh, but coach, he's, he's missing one of his legs. Yeah, it's a lower body injury. Like they won't admit come hell or high water, that, you know, something in particular is plaguing this guy. So you know what it means? Last night, Dryden Hunt got first crack at trying to replace Barclay Goudreau. This is a guy that was playing on, you know, top two lines earlier this season. You know, what can you expect to see from him moving forward? Or are they going to give other guys an opportunity? Ryan Lindgren, again, day-to-day, game-to-game, game-time decision. Who knows if you're going to see him tomorrow night? Justin Braun got the first crack at it last. I mean, the goal that Crosby had, it, well, he basically carried, what, like two guys into the zone, and they couldn't slow him down, right? And I know he still gave the puck up to Brian Rust, and he was able to put home a rebound, but that goal was all Crosby. Bottom line is they have to do something to contain that line because that Crosby line with Gensel and Rust – They are generating a ton of chances. They've scored five of the six Penguin goals in the first two games. They have to find a way to slow those guys down. And, yeah, it was nice to see the Rangers get some power play chances in that game last night. I mean, we all know that the officiating discrepancy, especially in game number one, and carried over into game number two a little bit. I mean, that was evident. We saw that. But think about how good this Ranger team was all season long with the man advantage. You know, Chris Kreider setting, you know, records on the power play this year. That's when the Rangers are at their best. And if there was one kind of question mark that you had about them going into this postseason, at least me and anybody who watched this club all year, was how are they going to be able to handle it five on five? You know, because that was something that they were not exactly blowing other teams out of the water at during the season. They did a lot of their damage on the power play, and it was one of the top power play units in the entire sport. But through two games, I mean, like, if we were going to sit here and, like, take stock of the series and how it's played itself out, I think if you are a Ranger fan, you still have to feel confident. You know, don't think about what lies ahead potentially in the next round. You know, whether that's Carolina, whether it's whoever. Worry about Pittsburgh. You still have an all-world player wearing the other sweater. We just talked about him a couple of minutes ago. He's still the best player on the ice, the best player in the series. And if that other team has him, that gives them a fighting chance as far as I'm concerned. So you can't take this Pittsburgh team for granted. You got guys on the team that have won cups, multiple cups, and know what it takes this time of year to get that done. Rangers don't have a lot of those guys, right? But with Louis Domingue essentially the guy that is going to keep the Rangers or the only thing standing between the Rangers and a trip to the second round, I like the Blue Shirts' chances. 8 the telephone number. Brees Hall, Jets rookie running back still to come. 
And our pal Don LaGreca will check in from Pittsburgh to preview Rangers-Penguins game number three. No baseball tonight. Both teams washed out. Who the hell knows if they're even going to play tomorrow with the way the weather forecast is. It's miserable out there today, but we shall see. Maybe the Phillies not playing tonight. I don't know. That's probably worse for them. I mean, the Mets, you don't care. If you win a game like that last night, you don't care if you play for another two, three days. You just continue to ride the high from that thrilling victory last night. If you're Philadelphia, you just want to get back out there. And you know what? The Yankees, I know that they lost their last game, but, you know, when you win 11 out of 12, life is good, you know? Got Aaron Judge and Rizzo and LeMahieu with the Ranger game last night, chugging beers. Life is good with the Yankees, right? When you get out there again, you get out there again. No rush. You know, the games will be there for you, hopefully, once once the weather clears up here. But, you know, I don't know if you guys saw this either. A couple of days ago, Ryan Tannehill, who's, you know, give him credit. You know, regardless of what you think of him as a quarterback, not my particular cup of tea, but give him credit. You know, he's had a second act, if you will, with the Tennessee Titans. Remember, he went there after he flamed out in Miami. He went to Tennessee to be Marcus Mariota's backup. Then Mariota went down, Tannehill took over, and they haven't looked back since. You know, they've done a lot of winning there. Went all the way to a conference championship game a couple of years ago. Had a lot of success winning divisions and that sort of thing. Well, you know, Ryan Tannehill didn't have that great of a year last year. And even though the team went out there and had another good season, they ultimately fell short in the playoffs because they lost to the eventual conference champions in Cincinnati. And so immediately, once you fall short, it's everybody saying, okay, what now? Who's next? Right? How can we get the next guy? And you're always searching for that replacement. Even though Tennessee signed him to a contract extension thinking, all right, he's our guy. We believe in him. But you know and I know that team is only going to go as far as Derrick Henry takes him. And with each passing year, with each passing season, with all that wear and tear that his body absorbs, you know what? Derrick Henry is going to wake up one morning and he's not going to be the same back. He's not going to be as successful. And this is a Tennessee team which, you know, has seen their weapons and seen the receivers that Ryan Tannehill had the luxury of having kind of go by the wayside over the last couple of years, right? A.J. Brown is now wearing a Philadelphia Eagles uniform. You know, that Julio Jones experiment, for whatever reason, it didn't work. I was surprised by that one, but it's where Julio is in his career right now. So, among other things, they made the trade for Robert Woods, which I think is a good move. We know Robert Woods got injured last year with the Rams, but when healthy, he's capable. And then they drafted Traylon Burks in the first round and didn't feel compelled to make that 26 pick, and that's why the Jets traded with them. Tennessee got a few more draft choices. Jets were able to get Jermaine Johnson. So now you got Tannehill, who was sitting there on draft weekend. You know, maybe he's watching the draft, maybe he's not watching the draft. And last Friday night in the third round, Tennessee decides to take a quarterback. You know, there weren't a lot of quarterbacks taken in this draft, at least not early on especially. Malik Willis, here's his name called, by Tennessee, the dude from Liberty. Some people thought he'd go in the first round, but he had to wait a couple of rounds to hear his name called. So, Now you got Tannehill, who's thinking to himself, all right, what does this mean for my future? What does this mean for me? I mean, after all, he's a 33-year-old quarterback, right? Soon to be 34, as a matter of fact, in a couple of months. 
So you're 34 years old in the NFL as a starting quarterback. Most cases, it's one of two things. One, your skills are close to maybe starting to deteriorate. Or number two, the team is going to look for your replacement. At least have somebody waiting in the wings. And for at least Tennessee, they're willing to take a shot that maybe Malik Willis is that guy. So Malik Willis is going to show up here in camp. Him and Ryan Tannehill are going to be the quarterback tandem this year, even though they probably don't want to throw Malik Willis into the fire just yet. But, hey, he's the backup. So Ryan Tannehill was asked about, well, you being the veteran, are you going to go out of your way to mentor the rookie in Malik Willis? And this is what he had to say. In a quarterback room in the same room, you know, we're we're competing against each other. We're, uh, you know, watching the same tape. We're, we're doing the same drills. Uh, I don't think it's my job to mentor him, but, um, you know, if he learns, learns from me along the way, then, um, then that's a great thing. Well, you heard it. And maybe that's the first time you're hearing it. Maybe you heard it already before. Either way. Did you think there was anything egregious with what he just said? Like, does Ryan Tannehill come off sounding like a bad guy because he said the sentence, I am not, it's not my job to mentor him? Because he's taken a beating for those comments around the league. I mean, you've got players from around the league who are tweeting out and going to social media and saying things. I mean, like, like crucifying Ryan Tannehill. Like, he's the worst person in the world. Because he said, I'm, it's not my job to mentor Malik Willis. Well, guess what? So Ryan Tannehill said something that every single player in the league, whether you're a quarterback, a running back, a kicker, a safety, a, no matter what position you play, Deep down, every single player in the league is thinking the same exact thing that Ryan Tannehill said. Now, look, it's a dog-eat-dog world. And especially in professional sports and in the NFL, it is cutthroat. They will cut you yesterday if they feel that you don't provide adequate service for them anymore. Circumstances be then. Sometimes, you know what, they may still think you can play, but you're playing at a salary which is a little bit higher than they want to pay, and they'll cut you. But you heard Ryan Tannehill say that they're in meetings together. They're watching the same tape. You mean to tell me that they're not sharing different things and they're not talking about different things? So does that count as mentoring or no? You know, like, what constitutes that? That's what I don't understand. Like, if Malik Willis goes out there on the practice field and he throws an incomplete pass or he throws an interception, like, are all eyes going to be on Ryan Tannehill to then go over and tell him, hey, no, 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 you made the bad read here. You should have went to the hot read instead of trying to find your ex down the side. No. That's what they have coaches for to do. All right? It's not on Ryan Tannehill to be the one to correct him from right or wrong. If Malik Willis comes up to Ryan Tannehill and says, hey, you know what? I got a question about this and this. And on this play, like, what do you think about this formation? Should we be here, here? What do you think? Ryan Tannehill's not going to answer him? He's going to answer the question. He's not going to completely ignore him. So it's amazing with, like, the way things are worded. How people make such a big deal and want to create, like, a catastrophe over certain things. Right? Like, whatever you choose to do in your walk of life or whatever your, you know, your line of work is, you're going to be helpful. But at the end of the day, the other person still has to do it. I mean, 
No player is just going to roll over and allow somebody else to come in and take his job. I mean, that dude, that's his livelihood as well. He's trying to support his family, you know, continue to play in the National Football League, justify his contract, all those things. I mean, it's like that in any sport. So, I, I, you know, I'm trying to figure this out over the last couple of days. Like, what did Ryan Tannehill say that supposedly is just so egregious that he said it's not his job to mentor him? Duh! They've got coaches for that. You know, they sit in meetings constantly. Coaches are in those meetings. Coaches are sitting there watching film with them. Yeah, but people want to make this like a, 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 a huge issue. Ultimately, you know what at the end, you know what the beauty of it is at the end of the day? The best guy's gonna play. Best guy's gonna play. Whether it's Tannehill or whether it's Malik Willis, it doesn't matter. You know, if the quarterback ain't getting it done, you know what the Titans are gonna do? They're gonna go to the bullpen. And they're gonna put the kid in and see what he could do. Just like Ryan Tannehill did when he came in to back up Marcus Mariota. Now, was Marcus Mariota somebody that was mentoring him once upon a time? Coaches don't care about that stuff. They're going to play the guys that give them the best chance to win. That's why all of this talk about mentoring, not it doesn't matter. How do we win games? I mean, if anything, you know, if the lessons of the last, I don't know how many years in sports have taught us anything, best guys are going to play the best guys should play. Tomorrow night, it'll be game number three of the Rangers and the Penguins best of seven from Pittsburgh. Coverage begins at 6.30 with yours truly. And then at 7 o'clock on the call, it'll be our next guest. He is, of course, a member of the Michael K. Show. Does an outstanding job calling the Ranger games as well. It's our good pal Don LaGreca. Hello, sir. How are you? Hey, Dan. What's going on, man? Oh, I'm doing good. Thank you for making some time this evening. I appreciate it. I, uh, how, how was the trip out? And um, it was a hectic day for you, huh? Yeah, it was a hectic day. I had to stop at urgent care because I had an infected finger. I had to pick up all this, like, apparatus to be able to do the show from the, uh, from the uh, hotel. But it was fine. And now I'm just uh, partaking in some dinner, standing out in this uh, restaurant's lovely patio, staring at pouring rain, which I'm sure you're also experiencing there as well. Absolutely. It's a car wash, as they say. And I appreciate you taking some time away from the meal. What's the meal selection for tonight? Anything good? I went I went to short ribs tonight. Oh, you can't go wrong with the short ribs. But but the finger is <laughs> no, is that okay? I mean, is there anything to worry about? As far as what? I mean, like I mean it, like, it required uh, urgent care. I mean, is is everything it's still it's Oh still no, attached. the finger? Oh I'm sorry. Yeah, the the finger. finger I thought you were talking about the short ribs. I oh, mean no, I, I, I hope I, everything's I have okay no with that. On the short ribs, no. No, I just I am i I'm stupid. I, I, I we got the uh try to save the planet, do the recycling. So I actually got a paper cut on a uh cardboard box like a week ago and didn't do anything about it and then the thing was all swelled up, so I had to go to the doctor, he had to dig out everything and then uh so it was pretty ugly but uh it's all right i didn't want to go on the road with my finger throbbing so no you don't, you don't travel for 26 months and now you got to go all this stuff you got to do but it's worth it because you know what you're gonna have a nice couple of games here in pittsburgh it's it's you know played itself out to be a good series here the first couple of games you had the call last night of course you were all over game one there too uh what's your big takeaway if you have one here over the first two games of this series 
Oh, the big takeaway to me is just how good Igor Shosturkin is. I don't think anybody really doubted it, but you don't know until you see it in the postseason, right? I mean, we made Henrik Lundqvist great. It was not just his Vesna trophies and his record-breaking regular seasons. was that he was stellar in the postseason. And I think everybody wanted to see Shosturkin be great. And he was terrific in game one, you know, making a, a almost a record save performance of 79. And then he was terrific in game two. So, that's what's been impressive to me is just how much fun it is to watch him. And also, I'm kind of watching this series, Dan, is kind of a last hurrah for Pittsburgh. It looks like Latang and Malkin are going to be gone. Uh, I think the, the, the Penguins that we've known are going to change dramatically over the next couple of years. Brian Burke is going to put his signature on this team and probably go into a rebuild. So just appreciating Latang and Malkin and Crosby and, and also seeing that Despite 16 years together, they're still really good, and they're still very dangerous. And you saw that in Game 2 when the Rangers were up 3-1. Crosby scores late in the second period, and the ice was tilted for the first five, six minutes of that third period. So I don't know if Pittsburgh is going to go that quietly, I think, because they just know in the back of their mind this is probably their last shot. Well, and not only that, I mean, you mentioned that Crosby line. It's it's hands down been the line of this series so far in the first couple of games, and they're going to have to find a way to shut them down. I was talking about this a little bit earlier, yeah. though, because on the flip side, you look at the Rangers side of things, and I know that in terms of, like, you know, the guys that are filling the stat sheet, it's been those top two lines, but I still think they're getting decent contributions from all four, and you know playoff time, you want to be able to roll your four lines because it's going to save all that wear and tear as you move on through a long series. And that's what's going to eventually cost Pittsburgh, right, Dan? I mean, right. it's been so much Gensel, Crosby, and Rust. Uh, are they going to get anything else? I know Malkin scored the overtime goal, but they're going to need more from McGinn. They're going to need more from you know the, uh, some of the other ancillary players forward because the, you know that top line is going to produce dramatically. But you know, are they going to be able to get stuff from Heinen? Are they going to get stuff from Kapanen, who didn't have a great regular season? And you're right. I mean, the Rangers, even with Gaudreau out of the lineup, I thought the Rooney line, the fourth line, uh, spent a lot of time in the zone. Uh, you know that Heedle is going to do some really good things with uh, Lafreniere and Kako. I thought that they have had an impact in this series. And, of course, the top two lines are as good as you get, right? I mean, Panarin's amazing uh, with Strom and Kopp. And that top line of Kreider, Zabanejad, and Vetrano are awesome, too. So I just think the Rangers are deeper offensively. This Dumoulin injury is certainly going to be a problem. Uh, Deming looks like he may be the goaltender the rest of the series. So everything's really pointing to the Rangers uh, to win this series. And, and, you know, Boston's winning tonight, which is good news for either Pittsburgh or, or the Rangers, depending on who comes out of this, because when you're playing every other night, you're not going to get much rest. So if Carolina makes short work of Boston, and these two teams bang heads for seven games. That's not going to bode well to, to advance. So um, let's see if the Rangers can win tomorrow and, and, and try to, shorten this series and keep pace with Carolina and then see what you can do in the second round. The Deming factor, as you said, Casey DeSmith now has gone under the knife. He had the core muscle surgery, so he's not going to factor in. I know they hold out hope that Jari could possibly make it back in if this series goes longer, but I, I mean, you got to figure now. And that's why, I mean, you and I were talking about it. I, I, I think it was a huge <clears throat> positive for the Rangers that they're able to put you know, as many goals as they did last night behind Deming because it kind of minimized the chance of maybe him building confidence, now going back into his home rink, thinking that he might be good enough to steal this series, which I guess anything's yeah. possible, but, you know, I don't think you're going to see the same guy that we saw for that, you know, period and a half of overtime back in game number one. Well, you don't want to create a monster, right? And it's a guy right. that came in in relief of Vasilevsky a few years ago in Tampa, 
made seven saves, didn't allow a goal. Then 17 in overtime in game one, didn't allow a goal. So he comes into game two, 24, goal, 24 shots in the postseason, never allowed a goal. And so now he starts to build confidence. And we talked to Stephen Valaket on the K show because I was under the impression, like, there's no pressure on Deming, right? Go out there, play. You're 30 years old. You play with six different teams. You know, have a good time. Nothing's expected of you. Valaket made a good point. He's like, you know, this kid's trying, kid, he's 30 years old. He's trying to stick in this league. And if he can leave an impression here in this postseason, he might be able to find a job and continue to play. So that creates pressure. And now he gives up five goals, uh, loses a game, and now he knows he's probably going to be the guy they're going to depend on the rest of the way. Jari, the speculation is he might have a broken foot. So even if he does come back, how, how good and competitive can he be uh, the rest of the series, you know, beyond game three? Uh, so it's, it's, I think it's about Deming and, I just think you're going to eventually wear him down. There's a reason why he's played for six different teams and hasn't had any traction. You know, he's, he's done a good job in this series, but I think, you know, the goaltending's better for the Rangers, and I think the Rangers eventually will expose him, and I thought you saw that in game two. No doubt about it. Don LeGrec is with us here. He will be on the call for game number three between the Rangers and the Pittsburgh Penguins, as you can hear right here on 98.7 ESPN. Obviously, you know, one of the things we talked about, Shesterkin and – you know, the workload, the shot load, whatever you want to call it. I, I mean, making over 100 saves, well over 100 saves, first two games of series does not bode well moving forward here. You know, from your perspective, you know, in the past, like, you, you know, we would talk about a John Tortorella team that when he was coaching the Rangers, you know, the, the emphasis, the priority, makes you blocking shots, get down. You know, it, it maybe winds out your own team as you move forward through a playoff, but also – you don't want it as run and gun as it is right now because ultimately your goaltender is not going to be able to stop every one that he sees. And I just think that that is a heck of a lot of shots that your goaltender is yeah. going to be seeing or should be seeing. I mean, especially in game one, but it, it started to pile up early in that third period in game two as well. I mean, you make a good point. And again, you're playing every other night, so you're not getting any kind of real break. But he's young, and he's been really looking forward to this opportunity. You could see – you know, I, I was kind of taken by it. I, I was fortunate enough to fly on the charter today with the team, and I haven't done that, you know, in two years. You know, I haven't done that since Henrik Lundqvist was here. And who was sitting in Henrik Lundqvist's seat on the charter was Igor. And it made me think, like, yeah, he's now the man. And he's been dying for this opportunity, and he was hurt in the bubble a couple of years ago and, and you know, only got to play in that third game after they were pretty much done and, you know, not no playoffs last year. Uh, and I think he's, I think he's relishing this. We've, we've seen Dan goaltenders really thrive on the more shots they get. So I, I don't think he's going to get too worn down by, it. I, I think you do want to cut down on the opportunities because there's some really good snipers on Pittsburgh, but I think he's the one goaltender that I think he could survive a, a workload here early. He's young and, and he's gaining experience with every game he plays. What was the meal on the charter today? I went with a little chicken salad. I kept it light. It's not bad. You know, you got yeah, your, it's you really know, nice. It's really nice. It, it, it's just a, you know, they don't tell you to sit fast in your seatbelts. You, you recline. It's really a great experience. I mean, I'm fortunate enough to do it, but it makes you not want to ever have to go back to commercial flying again. Do you get the warm chocolate chip <laughs> cookie at the end of the flight like you usually do in first class or no? Uh, I got a cinnamon cookie today, if that's all oh, right. okay. Cinnamon cookie's good. I, yeah. I, I like that. A little something. I, I, it's a I took little advantage bit of it. There's, there's that part where, like, I don't really need it, but I want to take advantage of it. I don't know the next time, outside of coming home with the team on two, on uh, Tuesday, uh, when this opportunity is going to present itself again. So, 
Well, you can't take uh, it for granted. Like you two said, years, it's been good to be back on the road. Yeah, tw- I mean, 26 months. You don't know when you're going to get this opportunity again. You might as well take advantage of it for sure. Um, all right. You know, lastly, and I want to get let you get back to your short ribs there. If this series is 2-2 coming back to the Garden for five, what do you think the panic level is going to be for Ranger fans? Ah, listen, they're always going to panic because I think that once they saw Domingue is likely the start of the rest of the series, I think a lot of Ranger fans, and rightly so, you know, chalk it up to a win, especially with a 5-2 victory. And listen, they, they could have very easily won game one as well, especially where they dominated in the, in the first period. But listen, respect Pittsburgh. I, I know Ranger fans hate Sidney Crosby and, and all that, but he's a world-class talent. So is Malkin. And uh, to get a split on the road is nothing, obviously, to be embarrassed about. Rangers have been a really good road team. And the Penguins were not a great home team. So that's why I kind of expect the Rangers to take control here. But if it's 2-2 going back to the Garden, you, you, you've regained home ice advantage, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't think there should be any kind of panic at all because uh, Pittsburgh's got a ton of experience, and they're not going to go quietly. Uh, so I don't think they should panic. Now, will they? Yeah, probably, but uh, I wouldn't. Well, and the thing is, you don't want it to necessarily go to those lengths, as you were talking about in regards to the Carolina-Boston series. But I, I just think the longer this series goes, it favors the Rangers. Now, you want to get it done as early as possible, but I think the longer the series goes, that's edge blue shirts. Well, especially when you consider the Penguins are the oldest team in the league in the playoffs exactly. and the Rangers are the youngest. You know, and Malkin, Malkin's older. Latang's 35 years old. Had to lug 46 minutes in game one. So, sure, and it's been a physical series, too. I thought game two, there were a lot of big hits. So, yeah, that, that's certainly going to favor the Rangers. But like I said before, you go seven hard-fought games with Pittsburgh and Carolina sitting there, you know, taking care of Boston in five, you get a few days off, that might really give you a, a disadvantage going into the second round. No doubt about it. Uh, I appreciate a couple of minutes tonight taking time out from your meal. Go back to enjoying the short ribs there, and uh, we will look forward to chatting tomorrow for game number three. Uh, yeah, looking forward to it, man. Good job. This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. <laughs>